Welcome to Hillside Community Church's weekly podcast. We're glad that you've chosen to listen to this week's message and hope that it ministers to you today. Hillside's located in Keller, Texas, and if you would like to know more about us or to listen to previous recordings, please visit us at yourhillside.com. And now, this week's message. All right. Well, we are um, continuing in our series in Romans, and uh, I want to jump in fast because I want to get through some things so we can spend a little time uh, looking at this real personally and practically. Uh, last week, I said to you that um, Romans 8 is, I mean, we said it, it's the greatest chapter in your Bible, and what it says about the spiritual life is invaluable. Uh, it's impossible to imagine trying to walk with God the way he intends without understanding the dynamics of the Spirit in Romans 8. Now, what we saw in Romans 8, and I kind of, uh, because of our time, Because of our time together, I, haven't, I didn't emphasize an element that I kind of want to go back and, and do. Uh, remember what 8.3 says, verse 3. Because this is where we said the bomb goes off at the beginning of Romans 8, 1 to 11, 1 to 13. The bomb goes off. And the bomb is, listen, what the law could not do. We have spent weeks talking about what the law cannot do. So let me quickly tell you what it can't do. God says it's, it was weak. The reason it was weak is because of our flesh. In other words, if you use a moral standard of any kind, God's law, the Mosaic law, the Ten Commandments, any kind of standard, all of us create one, all of us inherit one, we adapt to one in our lifetimes, we come up with some moral standard that makes us feel good and moral because we do such and such and we don't do such and such. Well, Paul has been trying to tell us in three chapters... Trying to keep a standard, whether you create it or someone else created it, will never work for you. The law is weak. What do you mean it's weak? It can't help you. You have a problem that the law can't fix. You have a sin problem. And no matter what law you create, you could never keep all of it. And so even if you create one, all you do is fall short of it. That's what he has said all along. So what the law couldn't do, look at what the text says. God did. Listen, when anyone comes to Christ, they have to abandon everything they've ever believed and thought about morality and about the standards of righteousness and everything they've clung to to make them feel good about their relationship with God. They've got to abandon it and say, okay, God, I couldn't do it. All right? So God did it. How did he do it? He sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He became flesh for us, and he died as an offering for our sin. All right, that's the bomb in the text. You couldn't save yourself, so God came to save you. That's the bomb. All right? And then it goes back to verse 1, and what, what, what do we say to that? What do we say then? Oh, no, no, that's 6-1. I need Romans 8-1. Let's see, is it in here? Now, it says 8 there, but that's, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin? No, no. This is 6-1. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus sets you free. This is Romans 8-2, but that's Romans 6-1. I do know my, my text. <laughs> All right, now listen. I'm not bullcrapping you up here, people. 
All right, so simple mistake. We can solve it. Let's everybody say Romans 1 together. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There it is. There's no condemnation. Now, I want you to think about something, because here's what we said the law couldn't do. It can't save you. Ah, that's a button. It can't save you, and it can't change you. The two things people care about in life. How do I get right with God, and then how does my life, how does it make a difference in my life? The law can't do either of them, right? Can't make you right with God. You need his righteousness. And so what God did in sending his son is, first of all, he saves you and there's no condemnation. You can't be condemned for any sin you've ever committed in your life once you come to Christ. That's only in Christ. So the answer to the law can't save you. No moral standard. The reason is is because you fall short of it. That's the problem, and that's what God saves you from. So his love and sending his son, God, listen, God... God saves you from his wrath by his love. Okay? Only his love could save you from his wrath. All right? So he saves you. Now, uh, what that means is, you, and I wanted to make this point clear, and I didn't last week, and I wish I had, is just stay, take for a minute, what does that really mean? That means, like I said, you abandon all this other pressure that you feel to try to meet up to some moral standard. Uh, and, and in essence, I just jotted down, it just simply replaces religion. This right here replaces religion. So every other religion that comes into play is about how you can save yourself. There's no God that saves you in any other religion. You save yourself. So this takes religion out of the picture in a moment. And in a moment, you're free from all of the standards you've created in your head or people have placed upon you because you're in Christ. You know how I pictured it? This is the kind of how I picture it because the Bible talks about a rest. There's just such a rest that comes from me not having to figure out how good do I have to be, how far do I have to go, how, how, how there's a rest all your life. And I was thinking about Forrest Gump. And I thought about when he took off running. Remember, he's got things going on in his life. He just took off running. And he just ran and just kept on running and I think to myself, that's, that's religion. Let me just run and try to figure this out by myself. Remember? I got a clip because I wanted to show you what happened. Uh, just, let's, let's, let's watch that real quick. My mom always said, you got to put the past behind you before you can move on. And I think that's what my running was all about. I had run for three years, two months. 14 days and 16 hours. Quiet, quiet, he's going to say something. I'm pretty tired. I think I'll go home now. That's what it feels like when you get saved. I'm pretty tired trying to do it myself. I think I'm going to just go home now. 
That's how it feels. You stop the running, and we all look just like he did when we got saved, whether you knew it or not. You just stop running, you stop playing the game, you stop trying, you stop wishing, you stop hoping, you stop game playing with God and with people. And you just let him save you. God did it. Salvation is beautiful in this text because it tells you God planned it, the Son executed it, and the Spirit is applying it to your life. God did it, the Son executed it. Remember, God planned it. He sent His Son. His Son executed the plan, and the Spirit in Romans 8 is applying all the wonderful truths to your life, which is then how you begin to change. And you don't change without the Spirit applying all that reality to your life. A.H. Strong said this regarding change, and I loved it. He said this, gave this little illustration. He's a, a systematic theologian. The steamship whose machinery is broken may be brought into port and made fast to the dock. She is safe, but not sound. Repairs may last a long time. Christ designs to make us both safe and sound. Isn't that great? Both safe and sound. Justification gives us the first. Justification gives us safety, salvation. But then he says, sanctification gives the second, which is soundness. This is safe, this is sound. Now he goes to work on the inside of us to change us. And see, what this, what this alleviates is religion. And what this blows a hole in is self-help. I'll figure it out myself. I can help myself. I'll get it all together myself. I'll get my act together myself. And how many of us have areas of our life we've been dealing with forever and we still deal with them? So the Spirit starts this internal work inside of me. So the Spirit is the new player. He applies salvation to my soul, gives me the sense and the reality that I have no, I'm not condemned in Christ. I cannot be condemned. Not in the past, not the future, not any time. There's no voice in all of reality that can condemn me once I have given my life to Christ. And now that Spirit starts this internal work. Henry Scoggle wrote a book called The Life of God in the Soul of Man. And that's what I want you to understand. By talking about the Spirit, we're talking about the Spirit's presence creates the life of God in you. That's literally what begins to happen. And he says, it describes it like this. I thought you would like it. It's an inward, free, self-moving principle of divine life. It enlivens. It motivates and then he writes, it's not driven merely by threatenings. Nobody's threatening you to live right. Nor bribed by promises. Let God dangle a promise over you so you'll do the right thing today. God doesn't do that. Nor is it constrained by laws. Nor is it wake up every day with somebody shaking a finger in your face saying, do that. Do that. It's not that either tried to talk about many people who 
don't want to come to Christ because they don't think they can live the life. How many people have you ever said, talked to, that say, I don't want to give my life to Christ because then, I, then I'm going to have to change. And I don't know what change looks like in my life. And the truth is, I don't think I can. I don't think I can stop loving the things I love. I don't think I can stop enjoying the things I enjoy and doing the things I've been doing. Well, of course you can't. But once this happens, all of a sudden there comes a new life in you. You can't help it. It's not about you figuring it out and you trying to be something you're not. It's like saying to a butterfly, fly. You're not burdening a butterfly when you tell the butterfly to fly because that's what the butterfly was made to do. When God saves your life, that's what you're made to do. You're made to contain his life and for his life to come out of you. See? You're just doing what you're supposed to. And so we said last week in 4, let's see, I think this has verse 4 in it. Yeah, look at verse 4. Let's start here. Now, you've seen the first place that the bomb went off. In fact, uh, let's do actually verse 2 again. Look what he says. Now there's a new law in town. All right, there's a new sheriff in town. All right, it's a spirit. It's the law of the spirit of life. Look, of life. In Christ Jesus, you have been set free from the law of sin and death. That's what happens. The Spirit sets you free. So not only are you saved, but he starts to set you free with a different kind of law. Not demands. And you notice right here in verse 4, he says, So that, here's the Spirit, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. What I could never do, now I can. See? What I could never do, now I can. I could never meet the standard of the law. Now I can meet the standard of the law. So, remember we said there's no commands in this text. No commands in this great chapter of Romans 8. It's all what the Spirit has done for you. And so really the spiritual life at the end of the day is you living in the flow of the Spirit. It's not you manufacturing anything. You can't manufacture Christianity. You can't manufacture righteousness. You're following the flow of the Spirit. And what we have to learn is what is that flow? How does he work? What should we see? And that's what Paul is wanting to make clear in Romans 8, that this is a supernatural thing. There's no formula to it. There's no formula to the Christian life. It doesn't run on its own. It's not automatic. It runs in interaction with God. That's what the Spirit is doing. Interfacing me with who God is. That's what's changing me. Not a bunch of rules anymore. It's God's life in me that the Spirit, and that's what he does. He brings God's life to me. So we want to look a little bit about what that is. Notice what he says. You don't walk according to the flesh anymore. You walk according to the Spirit. We talked about that a little bit last week. Uh, now you're going to see, well, let's, let's go here. Now, he's going to explain what does that mean for those who are according to the flesh. And he's going to set up two, stand, he's going to set up two dynamics here. Now, I've, I've drawn this in my notes. He's going to tell you, what does it look like to live in the flesh? He's going to show you what does it look like to live in the Spirit. 
He's, gonna co- he's just going to contrast the two for you so that you can see what they look like. Now, let me just say a couple things to you. This side right here is what it means to be fallen. Paul gives a beautiful description here, really, of the pathology of fallenness, the pathology of corruption, what it means to not know God, what it means to not have his spirit inside of you. How does a person like that live and exist? And then he's going to tell you over here, what's the spirit like? And this question here is basically saying, what does a Christian look like? What does the existence of a Christian look like? How do you know you're one? Well, you'll be able to see a clear line drawn right here. And notice how he does it. First, he starts out, those who are according to the flesh. So he's starting out on the flesh side. So let's stay on the flesh side first. They set their minds. How do you walk? Remember, the walk is the concept here. But it's not a command. It's something he's assuming you're doing. Set their minds on the things of flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit. We, don't, we set their minds on the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. So that's the first thing. There's this mental component. Listen, whether, you're walking, whether you are living in the flesh or the Spirit, they both have a mental and a, and a physical component. They have a set their mind on it. If you're in the flesh, you set your mind on that, and you walk that way. If you're in the Spirit, you set your mind on that, and you walk that way. That's the two distinctions. But either one requires the same. For the mind set on the flesh, watch. The mind set on the flesh is death. It is death. Doesn't lead to death, he says. It is death. It's a death-like existence. We'll, We'll understand why. Number one, it leads to death. We know that. It's a killer. The flesh will kill you. Have you lived long enough to see how your flesh can kill you? So easily destroy your life. The things that you want that you shouldn't want, how they could destroy your life in a minute. Have you lived long enough to see the death-like existence when we obey the flesh? That's the worst possible thing you can do in your life is obey your flesh. But the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Now let's keep going. I'm going to do this, then we'll come back and look at it. Because the mindset on the flesh, look at what it is. Mindset on the flesh. Here's the mindset of the flesh. It's hostile to God. It does not subject itself. So it's not submissive to God. And notice, it's not even able to do it. That's the three characteristics of those who live in the flesh. They're hostile to God. They can't submit themselves. And they're unable to do it if they wanted to. But they don't. And notice, and those who are in the flesh, here's the summary of life in the flesh. They cannot please God. It's impossible to please God. In the flesh. So let me say a couple things about death. We said it was a death-like existence. And that's just spiritually cut off from God. That's just what happens when you're not living his life. If his life isn't in you, then you're not living out of that life. You've got a death-like existence. That's the idea. Say, so what does that look like? Well, you're hostile to God. You're not submissive to him. And you're not capable of doing it, even if you wanted to. There's this bent towards self-gratification and self Centeredness. We're preoccupied with ourselves, our security, our pleasure, success. And all of those things are self-destructive when they become our preoccupations. All right? Then ultimately you can't please God. The flesh cannot generate anything godly. It's just incapable of it. It's that principle, that sin principle that operates in you. That's what he means by flesh. All right? On the other hand, look at... 
Verse 9, however, however, this is, a, this is what I like to refer to. It's actually however, it's really but. And this is one of those, and I've told you about them before. This is a big but in the text. And if you're a theologian, if you're a Bible scholar, you like big buts. Because that tells you he's about to contrast something very significant. Very significant. You are not in the flesh. He said, don't, he's not saying, don't act like, don't, he's not commanding you to do anything. He's simply stating a fact. You're not in the flesh. You are in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, and if anyone doesn't have the spirit of Christ, look, he doesn't belong to him. So let me try to summarize life in the spirit. Here's the Christian existence. Looks more like you are in the spirit. In other words, you operate in a completely different reality. Your life is oriented and organized around a whole different thing than it used to be. All right, why? Not because you're just in it, because the spirit is in you. He dwells in you. And this means take up residence. He takes up permanent residence in your life. All right, he is in you. And because of that, you belong to God. You now belong to God, is what he's saying. And verse 6 told us, uh, verse 6 told us, look, the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. It's not death. It's life and peace. What does that mean? Well, peace is used throughout in Romans 5.1. Therefore, we have peace now with God because he saved us. And we're not... That's the peace that comes inside the soul that's not, that just kind of stopped running. That's the peace. This is, I'm not running anymore, peace. I'm good with God and I don't have to go impress him with my running, my moral ability. I just stop running. That's the rest. That's peace. So out of that peace grows this life, this whole new life and who I am. So there's this dramatic power shift in the flesh. I could only think of myself. But now in the spirit, I have the option and the alternative of thinking of God in my life. Okay? This is not an imposition. Listen, this is not an imposition on you. God's not forcing anything on you. It's what happens. So anything that God asks you to do doesn't feel like an imposition. It's who you are now. So the spirit is helping you interface with this new environment. And I want to talk a little bit about that. Because if, if I was hostile to God, that H stands for hostile, if I was not subject, that's what NS means, to God, and I was not able, that's what I am in the flesh. In the flesh, I'm hostile to God, I'm not subject to him, and I'm not able to. But in the spirit, what would that mean? In the spirit, it would mean, if I'm not hostile, what am I? I'm at peace. You already used the word. I'm, I'm a friend. And I want to bring out three, three words that help you. I'm a friend of God. All right? And not only am I a friend of God, but I'm subject or submissive to God. By the way, this is describing spiritual existence. If these, don't, if these do not cross your mind, if you don't feel these, then you're not in. That's what he's saying. 
then you're on the other side, see? Then the other thing that I am, not only am I, but I, I, I have ability. I have the ability and power to do right. Those three things should be true of me if the Spirit is there. So let me, let me walk you through those real quick, a few of those. If I'm a friend with God, that means I'm in a close relationship with God. It's much more relational type thing. So the whole relational dynamic kicks in. So none of us in our close relationships want law to govern them. None of us want law to govern marriage. Remember, we don't want to wake up to somebody with the vows in their hands every day going, don't think you're cutting it, big boy. Don't think you're cutting it, lady. All right, because I remember what you read right here and said in that altar. Nobody wants that in a close relationship. You don't want that in a friendship. Even in our parenting relationship, when we love our kids. Loving your kids, you love them no matter what. There's a whole different dynamic, and I think about that when I think about this point right here, because it's such a critical point that the Spirit drives home. I'm a friend of God, so I want what He wants. We're, we're knit together. It's not imposing on me anything. I want what He wants, see? And that's where the friendship comes in. So when you have kids, and you get scared to death before you have kids, because people tell you, here's what's going to happen when you do have kids, and to think about that is very, very scary, until they're born and your heart is filled with something you, you've never been filled with before. And then not going to movies and not having money and, 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 and having a miserable existence actually feels good because, because you love that kid. Can't help it. I do a, I do a small group. I, I co-lead a small group with the Callahans for young marrieds. And... Uh, uh, sometimes I harbor bitterness at, their, at the, the nonchalant lives they live without kids. These young marrieds have no kids. And I think to myself, I can't wait till you have kids. <laughs> it's part of my job as the leader, or one of the leaders, just to hope for the worst. All right. <laughs> when they have them, but, but see, here's what they can't know. They can know, and they all know that when they have kids, life's going to change. But what they don't know and they can't understand is how God fills your heart with love for them. Isn't that right? Isn't that why we put up with the misery? Because we just love them to death. No matter what they do, no matter what they look like, they go through ugly stages, really ugly stages. <laughs> right? I mean, there are times when you look at your kids and go, ooh, he doesn't look like anybody in this family. <laughs> All right? And you just, ooh, man, he's not active. But you love him. You can't help yourself. You can't help it. That's what the relationship is like, because that's what happens. Thomas Chalmers spoke of the expulsive power of a new affection. You talk about the, only, the real way to change is to love something else. And that's what God does because of what he did for you. You love him, and you do what he wants you to do because you love him. You can't help it. So you're smitten by him. John Donne said this in one of his sonnets. I really like it. He says this. He spoke, uh, did, did a sonnet. He was a poet, remember, and wrote this sonnet, and he wrote it to Christ, and it says this. Take me to you. Imprison me, for I, except you enthrall me, never shall be free. Nor ever chaste unless you ravish me. I'm never going to be pure until I love you more than anything. That's what he's saying. So, you, you're a friend. 
submissive. Now, listen to what submissive means. Now, submissive means I'm open to God's ways. I want what he wants. I see, hey, I see myself doing what he wants me to do, even in tough situations. And because of it now, there is actually a legitimate option for me in the spirit. There's a legitimate option, an alternative to sin for me now that I know Christ. And if you don't feel that legitimate option in your life, the spirit isn't there. If the spirit hasn't opened to you the way you should go, then the spirit isn't there. If he's not constantly tapping on you on the shoulders and opening God's vista, his new life to you, an alternative for living. If that's not happening to you, he isn't there. That's the point. Paul's whole point in this text is if the Spirit's there, you're going to feel a love for God. You're going to want to do what he wants you to do. You're going to want to do it. You're going to be open to his ways. You're going to see alternatives to the way you've been living. And now you're going to have the power and the ability to You don't see yourself as helpless and hopeless. You don't wake up every day, I can't, I can't, I can't. Because the Spirit's reminding you, no, you have the power there. Remember what Ephesians 5.18 says? I want to hit this point because I think it's a critical piece to changing. It's not, let me tell you the 10 things you ought to do this week to make sure you're a better person. None of that's here. All of this is stuff you should feel. And if you don't feel it, then you're never going to change. You see what I'm trying to say? I'm hoping you see the distinction there. Not telling you to do anything. I'm telling you what you ought to feel. You ought to feel close to God, and you ought to feel submissive, and you ought to sense the power to do what is right. That's not telling you to do it. It should be there if the Spirit is there. And if, the, and if you don't have the Spirit, what did he say in verse 9? You don't belong to me then. Ephesians 5.18 says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. What is he saying? Be God-intoxicated. Be God-intoxicated. Be consumed with something else. And this kind of intoxication doesn't make you out of touch with reality and impractical. If you've ever been around an intoxicated person, then you know. This person, a God-intoxicated person who's filled with the Spirit, it's not a person dancing around and, and making a fool of themselves. It's a person who sees God's life and is in it and thinks about it and, and is open to it and is ready to go all the time in God's ways. I, I, Toby called me a couple of weeks ago, asked me if I could come pick him up on the way into work, and I said, sure. He said, my truck's not running right, so I went and picked him up. And I was driving out of there. As I was driving out of his neighborhood, I said, what happened to your truck? And he said, well, look down the street. And so we come out of his neighborhood, look down the main road, and to the right, I could see his truck a couple hundred yards up on the right. And he said, well, yeah, just I got to about right here. That big diesel truck of mine just quit on me, and I couldn't control anything. I couldn't stop. I couldn't do anything. I went a couple hundred yards past my deal and got the truck to stop and pulled over. No idea what happened. A couple days later, he came up to me and said, I put unleaded gas in that thing. That's what happened. It's a diesel. Well, you know, youth pastors do that kind of stuff. <laughs> All right, you put unleaded gas in an engine that runs on diesel, and it doesn't run. And that's essentially what Paul is saying here. Your engine's a brand new engine. You got a spirit filled, spirit fueled engine now that doesn't run on flesh stuff, it doesn't work for you. You just run on a different kind of fuel. Because the Spirit is in there. 
all right? Now, I don't want you to miss this. I just want to say it to you so that you can see it in this text real quick. Verse 9. See this? You know we talk about big buts? There's big ifs, too. Here's a big if. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, you will know all those things I just described. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, then he doesn't belong to him. So if those things aren't true about you, before I've told you to do anything, I haven't told you to do anything, you ought to just sense the Spirit there in doing that. that make sense so that's the question on the table the spirit creates this new identity that I'm a new person I don't want the same things I don't like the same things I want to say one thing practical because of time I'm not going to be able to get to everything that I want to say today bugs me let me see what I can do Uh, this is this new identity that you have It's experiential, it's mystical, I can't describe it, but his presence is there and it's felt. And I don't know how to say it to you other than, you know, I can't put words to it. And sometimes it's not good to put words to mystery. All I know is when a person gives their life to Christ and they have done it genuinely, they sense something different about themselves. If you don't sense that and it doesn't come into play, with how you live, then that if may suggest maybe he's not here. Maybe I'm trying to act like he's there, but he isn't. This is the whole idea of belonging. It's not manufactured, but it's critical to the spiritual life to sense his presence there. Now, this, this happens almost immediately, okay? I remember at 14 years old giving my life to Christ. The the way I knew it was real was I did not feel the same anymore. I I did not sense that I was the same person anymore. And that became the basis of every piece of change that ever happened in my life over 30 years. There was nothing else about it. Let me give you, I'll tell you a story. This is very powerful. This is the, probably the most important spiritual foundational principle you can have for changing anything in your life as a believer. Is the ability to be able to say, I don't see myself like that anymore. That's why I don't do that anymore. Not because I'm smarter. Not because I'm more intelligent now. Not because I have more self-discipline than everybody else in the world. Because I can tell you, I don't. I just don't see myself like that anymore. I don't see myself saying that anymore. I don't see myself feeling like that anymore. I don't see myself going there anymore. I haven't done anything yet. I just don't see myself like that anymore. That's why I don't do it. You see? When I was 14, you know, I've told you this story. There was, I was dating a girl. She was a cheerleader, and I really liked her. And I'd given my life to Christ, and I started to grow. But I was a new Christian. I didn't know theology. I wouldn't have known what Romans 8 was if you stuck it in my face. And I remember this happened just like I'm going to tell you. I rode my bike over to her house one day. And she lived right around the corner from me. It was in 10th grade. 
And we were, she walked out, we were standing out on the sidewalk, and you've heard me tell the story, but I want to emphasize a different point in it. And she pointed back to her bedroom and said, you know, if you'd sleep with me, be the perfect boyfriend. There I am sitting on my bike. And I remember, I remember going, oh, boy, that's, there's, there's not a chance. There's not a chance that's going to happen. And I'm looking at her sad. I've only been a Christian. I'm 14 years old. My hormones are raging. I have no shirt on. I'm looking hot. <laughs> you know, a little Florida boy with long hair and a tan. And I remember looking at her going, man, we live, listen, we live in two different worlds. And I said, Tammy, I got to go. I trucked on home. Now listen, it wasn't because I knew theology. I didn't have any verses memorized. I wasn't smarter than her. I wasn't more self-disciplined than her. I just didn't see myself doing that anymore. Do you see the difference? That's just not who I am anymore. You don't have to say, well, you know, I've been doing this a long time. I'm just a jerk, been a jerk all my life, so I guess I'm going to keep being a jerk. No, you don't see yourself as a jerk anymore when you come to Christ. You see yourself wanting to be something different. Before you get any rules, before you get any commands, I'll tell you what will change your life this week, and I've seen it. It's changed my life more than I can tell you because I, I, there are times when my discipline goes right out the window. There are times when my theology is gone. And my heart wants something as black as any heart has ever wanted it. And the Spirit is there. Not, not to take something good in me and use it, just to tell me, that's not you, Pete. You don't do that. You don't take that. You don't look at it that way anymore. You don't act like that anymore. When you feel that feeling, you don't feel that feeling anymore. That's not you. That's all you need for spiritual life, I'm telling you. Now, the Spirit is going to lead you to do some other things in your life, to become more disciplined to look at life differently. It's going to help you do that, as we'll see. But the first thing it does is, that's not you. And I promise you, you will never gut it up enough. You'll never be tough enough tomorrow morning. You'll never gut it up to, be, to get up early tomorrow morning. You'll never gut it up to be nice on the road tomorrow. You, you can hold the wheel as tight as you want to. Until you hear that voice say, Pete, that's just not you anymore. That's just not you. That's not how you drive anymore. You don't drive that way. You don't drive looking to take advantage of everybody on the road and making sure no one takes advantage of you. That's not how you are. That's not you anymore, Pete. You're looking to give advantages. You're looking to give advantages to people. How about that? That's what the Spirit's leading you to do. Give advantage to people driving. Let people off the hook for doing dumb stuff. That's what the Spirit is turning you into. Wow. <laughs> hey, the Spirit's not telling you don't covet their stuff anymore because you know the envy and the jealousy that works inside of you when somebody has something you want. It's not even telling you to stop doing that anymore. It's telling you, guess what? You know the kind of person I want you to be? I want you to be happy for what they have. I don't want you to just not be envious. You know what I want you to be? I want you to be loving, and I want you to love that they have it. Could you do that for me? That's, that's what I'm looking for. 
Wow. And listen, guess what? You haven't done a thing yet. All you're doing is going with the flow of what the Spirit is telling you. And the only reason it's an alternative for you is because he's there. If he isn't there, it's not even an alternative. That's spirit living. If you don't hear that voice telling that's not you, you old curmudgeon. I know how you used to be. So what kind of frame of mind do you have to be in to live life like that? Romans 8 is going to finish our story, but I, I have to close now. You sense those things of the Spirit in your life. And you hear him saying to you, that's not you anymore. You don't wake up on the wrong side of the bed anymore. It's not about which side of the bed you woke up on. It's about the fact that I'm inside of you. And I'm opening up to you an alternative to life that you have not had. And there's something in you that likes it. Because if sin still looks good to you all the time, then you're on the flesh side. Father, this week, we want to sense that spirit alerting us to who we are. The changes, the alternatives, the life of God that's available to us now because the Spirit's there and the Spirit reminds us that we're suited for that new kind of life. It's not an imposition. It's who we are. In Jesus' name, amen.